stress 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 this is one of those weeks where i have like eight things to talk about but only have four segments for a show in other words public enemies chuck d bring the noise On the Fifth Firm Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this is what's good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances, and I am legit not lying. I am, I am legit not lying. <laughs> I, in the part, even in the past, I'd say twelve hours. I am recording twenty-first October Wednesday. Uh, it's, it's just gone 15.03, 3.03pm in, in, the, in the evening, right? I'd say in the past 12 hours, I've, like, I've had three news stories that have come through in the past 12 hours that I could easily talk about, um, but I just don't feel comfortable doing right now because, like I said, <laughs> it's been the past 12 hours and I feel like that's extremely fresh, um... Uh, you could talk about Manchester, what's going on there right now, because um, obviously uh, um, uh, Andy Burnham, MP of the Greater Manchester area, um, trying to get a deal sorted, you know, for uh, funding for, you know, into, um, as a kind of like a, a buffer, so to speak, as, you know, Greater Manchester in that area goes into tier three lo- actual lockdown, lockdown, right? And I think they were given like 20 million or something, or something like that. And lockdown's going in place. It's going to happen, um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just garbage. Like I, I, I truly, I truly, you know, increasingly beginning to understand more and more why, like you know, the Scottish are going for independence. Why, why everyone, even even people in the north of England hate just the south of England and just like and, and everything that goes along with that. I can I completely understand now. I I completely get it. And you know, I'm not saying I never got it. Like this is the this is the eureka moment, but I'm increasingly just understanding more and more, like just the the bullshit between that literal literal north and south divide, right? And that's not even scratching the surface, right? We could also talk about Nigeria, which I obviously talked about in a um, a very well. Like I said, scratch the surface. Actually, <laughs> you can apply it to that. Um, you know, in a scratch surface kind of way. Um, basically explaining just the, uh, like a mini backstory of it, but last night there was just some. Like, like, I'm seeing there are videos coming through now of like just of just people getting shot, like by Nigerian, I guess military or police. I forget which, but like they're just getting they're just getting killed off. Like I I, I don't know I I don't know what to do with that. In t- I don't know how to absorb that. And put it into this particular show, like for, you know, in a space of literally the time I, sl- <laughs> the time I went to sleep and the time I woke up. Like literally, that's 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 basically the space in which I'm talking about. Uh, the, the, before I, before I went to bed, just like saw a couple of things and then went to bed, woke up and it was even more of it. And then you have like now Congo starting to you know gain some traction. Um, and even today, even today, as I woke up this morning, ladies and gentlemen, I found I, I heard this absolute bin juice of an opinion come through my uh, my news wire, so to speak. Right. So this uh, so I think um, in the House of Commons today they were addressing a uh, you know Black History Month and I don't know just race relations and you know. Gen- generic race stuff, right? This woman, uh, Kemi Badenock, Badenock, Kemi Badenock, comes through saying um, uh, that the government does not, and she said this on behalf of the government. Just, just so you know, uh, this is not her opinion, and she's back, by the way. Like, just you know, just go, go, just go see the video, right? Go see this video for yourself. I'm not going to explain it to you, but you know, 
Is she speaking on behalf of the government? Just so you know, this is not a personal opinion. This is on behalf of the government. So the entire Conservative Party is behind this statement that I'm just about to say to you. And this is just a statement. I'm not going to make a whole spiel about it. But this is this is just one of the statements that she came through with. Does not want the children being taught about, quote, white privilege and their inherited racial guilt, unquote. Any school with which teaches these elements of political race theory as fact or which promotes partisan political views such as defunding the police without offending a balanced treat offering a balanced treatment of opposing views is breaking the law, she said. And that was on behalf of the Tory government. What kind of antiquated bullshit is that? Like uh, there was actually a there was actually a piece I wanted to talk about a few weeks ago about critical race theory, but I just didn't really feel like there was a a reason to talk about it to be honest. And it was a good play. It was a good article. I might bring it back actually for next week because I might make next week an all life because um, this shit's just pissing me off. Uh, all this shit is just draining me. I wake up, I woke up today drained. Like <laughs> I literally woke up today, looked at my phone, and I was just immediately drained. I was just immediately drained. It was just hor- it was just horrible. Um, but yeah, I have got a slate of um, obviously stuff to talk about that I've gathered over the past week. Um, it does feel, um, in hindsight, uh, just very behind everything. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, I locked it in a few days ago, and uh, I'm sticking to it. I'd rather not um, talk about things that came through in the past 24 hours. Um, simply because, you know, I haven't really gathered enough information I feel like, you know, is worthy of me talking about it right now. And, uh, you know, they're just incredibly fresh. They're just incredibly fresh. In hindsight, I'd probably talk about NSARS this week and not next, uh, not last week. Um, but that's just how the cookie crumbles. That's how it sometimes goes. You know, you talk about one thing in a basic sense and then it actually escalates to fucking high heaven. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, it, it is what it is, and that's just hindsight, 2020. Uh, but, you know, in regards to that, do have a good show. I've uh, got life, got music, and two film and TV topics I wanted to talk about. And, uh, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and, and uh, get into those. So, uh, <sighs> for messages before we begin, <laughs> email to us IG, Facebook as well, Discord link, all that, all that, all that is in the all show notes. Support the people who helped me make this show possible, which 90% of that is me, so support me. Big up to yourselves. Thanks for listening once again. Episode 101. Shout to Lil Sims. Let's <laughs> let the beat drop. And let's get into the show. In a week where uh, roughly a quarter of the Pantanal, Pantanal uh, wetlands in Brazil has burned from wildfires this year. Yeah, yeah, guys, climate, climate's still going on, still, 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 uh, still going down the toilet. Um, Jacinda Ardern, Labour's, Labour's party, uh, Jacinda Ardern's Labour party, say that right, uh, waxes the uh, New Zealand election, giving her first majority government in over a decade. Uh, number 10, broke precedent, that's now Britain's first black archbishop, John Centimel, or Centimel, sorry, uh, for a peerage, because it says the House of Lords is too large, but it made room, and this is just me, you know, and uh, I think, I, I got this from a tweet, I think, it was David Lammy, so shout out to David Lammy, uh, but it made room for Ian Botham, Claire Fox, and Theresa May's husband, so... Say, so, so, uh, you know, I'm not really, I don't really care about House of Lords stuff. Like, I feel, I feel like the whole concept of the House of Lords is um a bit sketchy to me. Um, but regardless of that, that's just that's some that's some shit. <laughs> that's some real shit right there. Uh, Tiafimo Lopez upsets Vasily Lomachenko to become undisputed lightweight champion. And officials begin a second excavation, searching for mass graves from the 1921 Tulsa massacre. Uh, yeah, a little bit of surprise for you there. Didn't see that one coming, did you? Yeah, I'd like to keep you guys on your toes for these in a week ways. Um, actually, I think I talked about the Tulsa race massacres, and I think the excavation point uh, that this you know little piece I got uh, was talking about, uh, I think a few months ago, maybe earlier this year, I was talking about the Tulsa massacres, I think. I might be, might be during February, back at U.S. Black History Month. It may have been that, but anyway. It's good, it's good that they're still, uh, they're still pursuing that. And, you know... Just to say, um, you know, Tulsa Race Massacre wasn't the only one. Just to say. Um, so, we begin with uh, life and uh, 
let's talk about this Australian style deal because last week I said that I wanted to uh, well I wanted to know like about what's going on and literally I think a day or two after <laughs> uh, there was like a little press conference going like we're gonna leave on an Australian style deal and I'm like what the fuck is an Australian style deal? <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean, it's just it was it was just so obvious there was some garbage going on. So I was just uh, I you know I I basically just looked up. I was like, what is an Australian style deal? I just kept I just wanted to keep it simple, some simple information, and it kind of says it all in terms of just uh how uh, how how they're just taking everyone for like as if they're fucking idiots or something like like people just can't Google what I've lit- what I literally just did. I mean, this is just what I just did for 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 the show. I literally just went, "What is an Australian style deal?" Click, boom, information right there for you. It, it's that simple. It's that simple, and you can clearly see uh, as I go through this that they're just work. They're just you know wrapping it in a little uh, package that makes it more palatable. Basically, patronising the fuck out of everybody. So let's get into it. What is an Australian style deal? This is uh, from. Uh, UK in a changing Europe. Uh, this is by Matt Bevington, and uh, let's just jump right in. So, on September seventh, twenty twenty, Prime Minister Boris Johnson said, "Quote: There needs to be an argument with our European friends by the time at the European Council on October twenty, uh, October fifteenth. If we can can't agree by then, then I do not see that there will be a free trade agreement between us, and we should both accept that and move on." We will then have a trading agreement with the EU like Australia's, unquote. But what is the EU's trading agreement with Australia? And if there's no deal between the UK and EU, will they trade on similar terms to Australia? This explain answers these and other important questions. So, where does the idea of an Australian-style EU relationship come from? Let's get into it. The notion of an Australian-style deal exit was used in, used in Prime Minister Boris Johnson's speech at Greenwich in February 2020. In a speech, Mr. Johnson said, quote, the choice is emphatically not deal or no deal. Uh, the question is whether we agree a trading relationship with EU comparable to Canada's or more like Australia's. The 2019 Conservative Manifesto made no mention of either a Canada or Australia-style deal, uh, Australia-style ar- arrangement, uh, but simply committed to negotiating a trade agreement. This is not the first time politicians have looked uh, to Australia for inspiration. The Conservatives have also used the phrase Australian-style points-based system uh, to describe their new uh, post-exit immigration system. This was a phrase also previously used in the 2010 Labour Manifesto. What agreements does Australia have with the EU? Here we go. Here we go. Australia has agreements with the EU related to trade, but it does not yet have a comprehensive free trade agreement in place. Indeed, it has been negotiating one with the EU since July 2018. The bulk of the EU-Australia trade is currently done according to the World Trade Organization rules. But do they have? Uh, but they do have other agreements in place on trade on other issues. And here are the issues: Framework Agreement 2017. Two sides reached a so-called Framework Agreement, which is yet to be ratified, that establishes general principles of cooperation on a wide range of ideas, including trade, foreign policy, and security and development, humanitarian issues, among others. EU Crisis Management Operations, which is in 2015. Two sides reached an agreement to allow Australia to participate, participate in EU Crisis Management Operation. Passenger name records. In 2012, two parties reached an agreement on transfer of EU passenger name records to Australian border authorities to help combat crime and terrorism. Mutual recognition agreement. Uh, also in 2012, they updated their existing mutual recognition agreement for conformity assessment certifications, certifications and markings. Classified information. In 2011, EU uh, uh, EU-Australia agreement entered into force allowing the exchange of classified information. Wine. The drink, wine, an agreement on trade in wine was made in 2008. Uh, There are also other agreements on peaceful use of nuclear energy, scientific uh, cooperation, and Australia has many bilateral agreements with EU countries, such as uh, on aviation, where it does not have an arrangement with the EU. In short, EU-Australia cooperation extends well beyond trade. And here we go, is an Australian-style deal just code for no deal? 
Yes. <laughs> Postman just goes, yes. Australia does not have a comprehensive free trade agreement with the EU, so the bulk of their trade is down the corner to WTO rules. The same would be true of the EU of e- e- UK-EU trade in the event of no deal. In practice, this would mean tariffs being placed on many goods traded between the e- UK and the EU alongside some quota restrictions and custom, uh, customs checks. Uh, Northern Ireland would be treated differently, obviously. Uh, but the impact of no deal for the future for the UK would not be limited to trade in goods. <clears throat> no, no deal would mean cutting all formal uh, bilateral ties with EU uh, come January 2021, including in other crucial areas such as judicial and police cooperation. By contrast, as discussed above, Australia has a series of agreements in places in, in place across a range of issues and is seeking a free trade agreement with the EU to be put on WTO terms. The only bilateral agreement in place between the UK and the EU will be the withdrawal agreement reached by Boris Johnson in 20, October 2019. Ultimately, without a deal, the UK's trading terms will be similar to the Australia's, but with the wider relationship, but the wider relationship would not. And there is uh, one more asking, uh, how does EU-Australia trade compare with the UK trade with the EU? But my question has been answered. And the question obviously was, I'll repeat, what is what the fuck is Australia's start deal? And put simply, it's a no deal. There we go. There we go. Job done. Job done, guys. So, not only... So, not only... Has the government uh, failed in getting a deal? Not only have they failed in trying to cooperate with the EU, and don't give me this bullshit. Do not give me this bullshit talking about how the EU haven't, like, tried or whatever. That's not the point. Regardless if they're being spiteful or not, Right, and you know, I'm not in the EU like that. You know, what I mean, I'm not, I'm not an EMP. I, I just, I, it just don't matter to me. Right, no matter, no matter how spiteful you think they are, okay. The fact of the matter is, putting blame on the EU and then doing fuck all about it is up to our government. We wanted to leave, not the other way round. So in that case, we need to be more proactive. And clearly, we have not been proactive. We have not been proactive in anything in the past 10 years. We have not been proactive in Corona, as stated in the fact that Greater Manchester is now going to Tier 3. And many other paces will most likely go into tier three in the coming weeks. We've had since 2016 to do all this. And all we have to show for it is a piddly withdrawal agreement. And a quote unquote patronizing as fuck Australia style deal. Which is a fucking no deal. Which means nothing. Which means we gain nothing. And lose pretty much everything. Am I being exaggerative when I say everything? Probably. But it might as well be. It really might as well be. So. Ask you guys, you know. And uh, you know, I, I, there was a great, there was a great, oh, an amazing, like, uh, just, just conversation between them. Um, uh, James O'Brien on the LBC and uh, uh, this other dude, uh, get, you know, going like, uh, you know, I've I've been invested in this, you know, uh, since it began and stuff like that, and he's now just realised like it's it's all bollocks, like it's just it's just, it, it 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 dumbfounds me, it really dumbfounds me that people are still about this life, it really dumbfounds me, like it it just it, it's just amazing. So there there are plenty of stuff that I could say that you know. 
I've, I've, I've said it before, I've, I've said these stuff before, we've talked about this, you know, over a few times over the past year, you know what I mean, we've talked about it intimately, you know, I've tried not to drown in it, you know what I mean, but every now and again I like to return to this shit heap that is um, the EU, uh, uh, the, the EU leave, and um, this is just icing on the cake, ladies and gentlemen, icing on the cake, we are leaving in January 2021 with fuck all. And again, no matter how spiteful you think the EU is, the government still bottled it. Bottled it. They lied, they cheated, and they bottled it. Lose, lose. Nobody wins. Congratulations, guys. And now we're being patronised to hell. (laughs) It's just great. It's glorious. Gotta love it. move on to uh, our first of two film and TV topics and uh, this is all about uh, streaming Um, well technically Netflix but streaming as a whole Um, this is a second Covid wave will boost all streamers but Netflix may yet reign supreme Uh, by Mark Sweeney, I assume it's Sweeney there's no, it's not two E's in it so I'm just like, Sweeney? Probably Sweeney in it but I don't know (laughs) regard Regardless of that, uh, Mark Sweeney. I'll just say Sweeney. Um, so yeah, let's just jump right in because uh, I, th- I found us. Uh, I found us quite interesting. It's very business oriented, but um, I feel like it's it's uh, it's kind of, I guess, uh, a commentary on things going on as a whole. Let's just uh, let's just say it. let's just word it like that, shall we? All right, let's just jump right in. When Netflix reports its latest uh, quarterly results this week, all eyes will be on whether the great coronavirus streaming boom has come to an end. Uh, the world's largest streaming service, which is an outside chance of breaking the 200 million subscriber mark in its third quarter update on Tuesday, uh, has been one of the big winners of the pandemic. Rolling lockdowns followed by ongoing social restrictions, restrictions have kept millions at home seeking entertainment, which has fueled a boom in the numbers clicking the subscribe button. Uh, Netflix has added 26 million new signups in the first half of this year, compared to 12 million in the same period last year and 27.8 million for the whole year, whole of 2019. Uh, investors have rushed in, driving Netflix's shares up to 90% over the past year, giving the business, uh, giving the business a market value of 239 billion dollars. Currently, about 10 billion more than Disney, the world's biggest entertainment company. Holy shit, I didn't realise it was that. That's crazy, that big? Oh, bigger than Disney, yeah? Respect, respect. Uh, you know, all capitalism in the in the, in the the end of the day, but still, respect. Um, all scum, but, you know, respect. Uh, but Netflix reckons the stratosphere rate of sign-ups is over, for now at least. The company's share price took a hit in July after a forecast just 2.5 billion new subscribers for the third quarter. With management arguing a slowdown was ahead because the pandemic had simply brought forward new subscribers, it would have expected to join later this year. Uh, yet many on Wall Street, uh, yet many on Wall Street expect Netflix, a master of the underpromise, overdeliver forecast, uh, to put more than double its prediction as a second as the second wave continues to restrict competing entertainment option, options such as going to the cinema. And we already talked about the cinema a few a uh, few weeks ago. Um, quote, we expect Netflix to report third quarter results well above the guidance and consensus expectations, said Goldman Sachs analyst Heath Terry in a note to investors. Terry is forecasting about 6 million new Netflix subscribers. Quote, this is driven by growth in content on the platform, a lack of competition for entertainment hours and spend and more time being spent at home. Management is likely to continue to guide conservatively given uh, its outperformance earlier in the year and the massive uncertainty of the current environment, unquote. However, a wider threat is the rise of competing streaming services, most notably Disney+, Plus, which has amassed about 60 million subscribers in less than a year. Well, that's just because they started, so... And it's Disney, so I highly... I don't really think that's comparable, you know what I mean? So, if Netflix started, then, yeah, it wouldn't be anywhere, because it's Netflix, you know what I mean? Disney has, like, 100 years of, of name recognition behind it, but anyway, continuing on... Um, uh, da, 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 da. Disney's uh, services rolling out in more countries and with cinemas shut or in limited hours and struggling for new films, the company has seized the opportunity to move big screen blockbusters to a streaming service to drive subscriptions. 
Moon Armor's made available in organs for an additional fee of 20 quid with Pixar's soul yet to follow, set to follow at Christmas. Analysts do not expect Disney, which last week reorganised its operations to prioritise streaming, to start going straight to streaming and digital release for all of its blockbusters when the cinema industry eventually recovers. This means Netflix remains the king of content, spending an estimated $17 billion uh, making and licensing TV shows and films this year, and uh, and as and as much as to $26 billion by 2026, according to BMO Capital Markets. Um, that's actually a good point on that. In terms of uh, uh, Disney's, um, uh, what's the word, uh, Disney's uh, uh, long-term view of things, I remember I was talking about it, um, I think, in the springtime, I think, um, months ago, months ago, anyway, um, the, you know, business, uh, Disney, Disney, business Disney, Disney business, um, Disney were going to uh, basically split everything into two, so, uh, you know, blockbusters, big hitters, you know, just, you know, just big money shit, uh, cinema, everything else streaming, right, and obviously, lucky they, you know, kind of in a stroke of luck that they got Disney Plus out, uh, uh, off the ground um, before Corona came through, um, because if they didn't, then, you know, they'd be just as fucked as, you know, any other uh, film entity these days. But, um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it clearly at this point, they're just going to have to, you know, just shove everything to Disney Plus and just, you know, hope, I don't know, hope and pray, I guess, that they make up some sort of uh, money on that front. I don't know how, but, yeah. Um, but, obviously, they want cinemas back because, you know, it's that's the... They... they they live off the blockbuster, you know. What I mean, they, they, well, okay. I don't, I don't want to say they live and die off it because they clearly don't. They have Disney World for fuck's sake and stuff like that. They have other things, but um, yeah. Still, they make a lot of money off blockbusters, and I feel like they would uh, much love to uh, continue doing so. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like you know they'll live with shoving everything to Disney uh, Plus. I think the Mulan thing was silly, like. Imagine paying for a streaming service and then having to pay for another for something else on it. Like what? Fuck off! <laughs> you joking, mate? Like a Skybox is different. You know what I mean? A Skybox is different. A Skybox gives me you know, a th- literally a thousand channels in like radio stations, right? <laughs> a Disney gives me Disney films. Like it's different. It's not the same. Okay, um, you know you, you you can afford to have like box office on Sky on a Skybox or a Virgin Media box. Where right? you know what I mean? It's different. Anyway, continuing on, uh, the competition is certainly heating up. Said Richard Broughton, analyst at Ampere. Uh, but if I were Netflix, and I wouldn't be too concerned. Uh, by some of the moves Disney is making right now, Disney doesn't have anywhere near the volume of content Netflix does, so it's unlikely to be eating significantly into the time subscribers are spending on its service. And that's that's true. I think I feel like that's true. So, I, 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 there's no threat to Netflix right now. Um, however, Broughton thinks the rise of well-funded rivals from Warner Media's HBO Max, NBC, Universal's Peacock, as well as Amazon's continued effort to build Prime Video globally will eventually put pressure on Netflix as consumers are enforced to choose between streamers. Quote, this time next year, there'll be a significant number of strong services, he said. Uh, time, A time will come when consumers hit a crunch point with their wallets being stretched by all these different services. Unquote. As the battle for subscribers intensifies, analysts will be keenly observing, observing the impact of Netflix's move. Last week, to drop his sign-up uh, sign carrot of three months trial in the US and UK to stop super binges watching and then cancelling without paying a penny. Uh, it was replaced with a 50% discount for the first two months. The, uh, the pandemic subscriber rush may be over, but the fight for global stream supremacy shows no sign of slowing down. Okay, well, um, the only competition on, on from the ones they named, from Prime Video, HBO, HBO Max and Peacock, um, well, two of those are based solely in America and only in America, so... That's just a non-starter. So Peacock and HBO Max, while they are, they do have good shit, um, they do have good shit. I've seen some good stuff on there. Uh, uh, you know, just in just in general, you know, just looking in, uh, you know, announcements and stuff like that. You know, what I mean, uh, uh, HBO Max of course like a uh, Charm City Kings. I really want to watch and other stuff. And uh, Peacock has some good shows going on. Um, but again, they're American, so that's a non-starter. Netflix is global, and we need to understand that. We need to understand how global Netflix is. Like, they have so many roots everywhere. They just started doing roots in Africa. 
They have roots in South America. They have roots in South Asia. They have roots for it nearly everywhere. Europe. Like, this is no joke, right? Prime Video is getting there. I don't know what they're about in terms of uh, foreign, uh, you know, foreign ventures. But obviously you have stuff like The Boys going on, which I've heard is amazing. I've been, people, people have been consistently talking about that over the past couple of weeks, right? That's probably the most hype show I've seen personally in the past couple of weeks. So that's saying something. And, you know, it nearly makes me want to get Prime Video. I'm not going to do it, uh, but... <laughs> not going to do it, but, uh, you know, very close, very close, very close indeed. But yeah, man, this stuff is heating up, and you know, I've I've been covering this for the past uh, year or so. You know, we, we talked about the uh, the advent of uh, when uh, uh, Disney Plus and Peacock and all these places came through. You know, the start of their infant uh, the, their infancy, and you know, now they're they're already they're already you know making moves, uh, which is all well and good. But uh, yeah, it's going to take a while, in my opinion, for for uh, for Netflix to be toppled if it challenged in any way. Um, you know, if if Corona still fucks about, you know what I mean, in, in the next few years, then Disney might have to switch up their strategy a little bit, which is kind of interesting to think about. I'd, uh, I'd like to see what happens on that front. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it's, it's I think we really don't understand how global Netflix is, guys. Really don't understand it. But, uh, yeah, at some point, uh, once once there's some genuine competition, you know, on the on the shares front, um, on the business front, I guess, um, on the subscriber numbers front, um, then we'll, I think, we'll truly understand how, how, you know, in retrospect, how dominant Netflix has been in the past five years, especially. So we move on to our second film and TV segment, and uh, this is all about black British TV writers, and we have some statistics, ladies and gentlemen, we have some solid research. Alright, so fewer, that's, it's the headline alone, fewer than 2% of writers in British TV are black survey finds. This is by the homie, Lana Bakari, I think he's been, I think he's been on the show three weeks in a row now. I don't mean to, but uh, you know, he just keeps coming up with this heat, you know what I mean, just keeps coming with the heat. Uh, Articles correspondent for the Guardian. Uh, let's jump right in. Uh, fewer than two percent of writers working British TV identify as black, according to a major survey of industry diversity uh, that also revealed a dearth. Love that word, dearth, of uh, senior positions for people of color. The Creative Diversity Network (CDN) uh, survey of thirty thousand respondents showed that within the world of British TV, people of color are still vastly underrepresented in decision-making roles and in key creative positions such as writers' room writing rooms. Uh, the research found one point six percent of writers working in UK t- UK TV identify as black, while two point four percent of production executives. 4.4% of series producers identify as black, Asian and minority ethnic, BAME. And, and you know, I think I've had this conversation about, you know, BAME and, you know, just the the application of it. Um, in this case, it's obviously worthy of application because that's just, those, those small percentages, 2.4, 4.4, those are just, those are, those are black, Asian and minority ethnic. Like that's 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 a that's a that's a that's a chunk of people. Like the one point six is just for black writers. The other two numbers are just for, for you know everyone not white. Like that's silly. That is actually silly. Two point four percent production execs. Four point four series production uh, series producers. That's horrible. Horrible. Continuing on. Despite the success of shows such as Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You and Steve McQueen's forthcoming BBC anthology Small Axe, the survey paints a picture of a sector that is struggling with diversity both in front uh, in front of and behind the camera. And, you know, just to note you guys, there's actually an interview from Steve McQueen on Esquire. Um, you, sh- you should really give a read. Really fascinating read. Um, the only reason I didn't read it this week is because I read the Steve McQueen thing last week. Um, again, in hindsight, I probably would have read the uh, read out the Esquire one, Esquire, uh, one this week, uh, but you know, hindsight 2020 again. But anyway, yeah, give that a weed. Give give, give that a weed. Give that a weed. Oh, I'm Elmer Fudd over here. I'm hunting rabbits. Give it a weed. It's because Esquire, Esquire one. It's just jumbled up my mouth just a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, the Esquire 
interview, give it a read. Uh, Deborah Williams, CDN's executive director, said three key things needed to change before UK TV becomes more equal. Uh, More diverse people need to be in decision-making roles. Diverse talent needs to be able to move between roles more easily. For example, from a playwright to a TV writer. And talent must be able to write more than just (laughs) about more than just race. Of course. Uh, Quote, it will always be about who makes the decisions and what people think of as quality, she said. If you don't write about uh, Windrush or slavery or or, or police brutality or gangs, then you're telling black stories that are not considered to be authentic, unquote. Love it. Love it. I love how they judge. I love how non-white people judge what's authentic. Mmm. Mmm. Tastes... Tastes so good. I love it. Love it. I fucking love it. Um, Another major area of concern for Williams are craft roles, such as lighting and set design, uh, where the where there were so few contributions being made by people of color that CDN was unable to publish data on them. Oh no! Oh, that's depressing. So few numbers couldn't even couldn't even get data on it. Wow, <sighs> madness. Uh, William uh, Williams said nepotism and a lack of open and transparent recruiting was hampering diverse candidates from being considered for those roles. The CDN survey, which is compiled from data gathered by all the major TV channels in the UK, uh, showed that since 2017, total on-screen contributions from people of colour have increased from 21.8% to 22.7%. Oh, whoa, big numbers, big jump, big jump, 0.9, woo! Uh, but Williams said that, <laughs> Williams said that uh, uh, that was a simple thing to change for TV makers, and that sustained change would be harder. She said, quote, you can fix that problem really easily by finding lots of black and brown people to put on your screen. But where's depth? In, where's the depth in that? How do you make sure that it continues? Where does that go? Great point. The survey also found that diverse on-screen talent was still unlikely to be working with BAME directors, even though in the past three years there have been an increase from 9.7 to 12.3 in off-screen contributions. Clap it up. Uh, British, te- British television has reacted to the Black Lives Matter movement by rolling out a series of initiatives. In June, uh, the BBC announced it would spend at least £30 million of its annual television commissioning budget on, quote, diverse and inclusive content, unquote, while ITV hired uh, Addie Rawcliffe, um, as its group director of diversity and inclusion. In August, David Olasoga, big up the G, uses, uh, used his McTaggart lecture uh, the Edinburgh TV Festival to give an account of his time in an industry uh, that was, quote, still blind to realities of racism, unquote. William said BLM and other uh, interventions had begun to slowly change attitudes within the industry, quote, I think it's as bad as it's ever been, she said. But everyone's now uh, everyone's now talking about it, which is the difference. People are acknowledging it and talking about it, and there is less resistance when people try to find solutions, unquote. All right, so that's the whole thing. And, um, yeah, this kind of uh, adds on to a lot of things I've been talking about in the past year. Um, I remember the um, creator of Time Wasters. I think he was the creator of Time Wasters. Um, he was like... he. he um, I remember reading his uh, op-ed on, you know, just uh, on his experiences trying to create time wasters and how, you know, they basically forced him to get some uh, white woman to write with him, you know what I mean, just, to, I don't know, to keep an eye on him some shit and, they, and the bullshit notes he got and stuff like that. Um, you know, and obviously uh, diversity reports um, in the past uh, couple of weeks and um, that USC Annenberg in- uh, Institute one. Uh, was amazing, but that was obviously more for, uh, I think, uh, US-based uh, stuff. But, you know, guys, two, two point, less than 2%, you know? Like, less than 2%. Uh, you know, I won't tell you the whole thing, right? But um, I've been trying to find, you know, other black writers. Um, and it's fucking hard. Like, it's just, it's really hard. Uh, and you know I haven't I haven't exhausted every um, avenue yet, so you know I'm I'm not exactly giving up on that on that fact, um, but it's 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 really hard. Like, it's, it's 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 incredible. Um, it's it's incredible uh, trying to find trying to find people that are you know not even established, but like just just they're just a black and white. 
And I, it's, 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 it's tough. Uh, I, 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 every, um, every, um, and obviously this isn't like, um, you know, a, you know, official TV rise or anything like that. It's not, it's not official, but like, you know, if you, if you go look at any, um, I don't know, Facebook group, like, Twitter group, Twitter hashtag about writing, whatever, you know, I mean, there's some, there's ones where like, you know, you have a hashtag in the, every, whatever day it is, um, you know, people just like check into that hashtag, you know, it's like, hi guys, literally man, all of them white, every single one of them, it's just depressing, it's so depressing, I just always wonder like, what the fuck is going on here, and you know, I know what's going on, like, you know, uh, a few a few decades of goings on, <laughs> you know what I mean. But I yeah, I was watching Desmond's. Um, I was watching Desmond's recently. Um, just like you know, just just because it was on Netflix and uh, you know Black Christian Month and all that. Shout the tri- tricks, moral man. Like I I really want to meet that guy on and just I just I want to know his experience as to how the hell we got a show on prime time channel four. In the in the early nineties, like it, it dumbfounds me. It dumbfounds me. Like it should be easy now. It really should be, but it still isn't. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, I just, I just don't understand it. I, I just, I, I understand it, but I just don't. I just can't fuck with it at all. It's just, it's just depressing. I, I don't really get the issue here. Like it's not hard. It's not hard to find writers, guys. It's not hard. For me, it's hard. But like, if you if you're if you're BBC, if you're ITV, if you're Channel Four, it's not hard. Put out anything, and people will come flocking. You 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 just guys, you guys ain't putting the effort in. You guys really ain't. Like you can say all these numbers to me, you can throw all these minions like at the problem, but like it just don't make the sustained change. And and fucking hell, I'm glad I'm a writer at least, because uh, imagine if you're a set designer, you're a black set designer, Ross. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do, man? Like seriously. Ah oh, man, I mean, uh, there's nothing, there's nothing positive I can come out of this one with. Um, like you know, I I know it will get better because you know if 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 I have anything to say about it, I'm gonna make that shit better. Like I want to be responsible for that percentage going up someday. But like, oh yeah, man, twenty twenty two less than two percent, less than two percent, less than two percent, and executives less than five, studio producers less than, less than fives, less than less than five, and that's for non-white people. That's just. I am astounded. And lastly, we finish up on the music segment, and uh, this is this is so funny. So, like, <laughs> let, me, let me just frame it for you guys, right? So, uh, I was uh, I was just like listening to music uh, the other uh, last week. I mean, I was, uh, I was spinning the new uh, Heady One uh, album, Edna. And um, if you want to know my thoughts, just go peep uh, the Miss my episode of uh, D- Digging Digits. I spoke about that uh, briefly. And uh, one of the main points I came out of that album with uh, was uh, the Skepta's feature. And how fucking hungry that dude sounds. And he's pushing 40. <laughs> The bro is pushing 40 and he's still putting in bars. Like, it's it's silly. It's actually silly how hard he's... He just sounds hungrier. Like, literally hungrier. Like, it's actually outstanding to me. It's crazy. I, I couldn't believe it. And I was just, like, thinking. And, yeah, I saw something about uh, Judy Adenuga, like, a few, a few weeks ago as well. Um, she was hosting the Rated Awards. Um, and I was just... Uh, you know, after the Skepta thing, I was just like, I was thinking, you know, Jamie's dropped an album this year, and that was great, Julie's doing bits, Skepta's doing bits still, 
And I was just like thinking, I was like, how are their parents feeling right now? Like, they must be absolutely flexing on people. And I was just like, I, I, I was like, are the Adenugas like mad, just like the most talented family. <laughs> I, I just, I just had that question in my head, and lo and behold, lo and behold, I got the answer. <laughs> I literally did. I, I got, I found this. I found this piece. It's called Skepta Jamie Julie are the Adenugas Britain's most creative family. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, and I just had to put it on the show. Uh, so shout out to uh, Annie Fiok uh, Ekpudom. Um, it's it's just great. I just loved it. Uh, so let's just jump right in. Let's just fuck it, jump right in. So Skepta, Jamie, Julian, Jason, four Adenuga siblings are laughing as they remember building uh, a go kart's kids raiding the factory next door for crates and pallets. Their father's toolbox for screwdrivers and bolts, wheels from a discarded pushchair and making steering mechanisms from string. Quote, If you wanted science and it wasn't there, you just made it, says Jason. When they finished, they dragged their car uh, to the top of the top of a hill by the estate, and Skepta remembers, quote, going down, there, uh, uh, going down there with the biggest joy in my heart, thinking to himself, this life, man, you can just make what you want. You don't need to buy anything, unquote. This has been the guiding mantra for a family who could lay a claim to the title of most creative clan in Britain. In the past decade, the two older brothers and famed MCs, Skepta and Jamie, steered Grimes' second wave, helping to build the success of British rap via their record label, uh, Boy Better No. They have played huge stages at Glastonbury and Wireless, while Skepta has uh, won the Mercury Prize, scored three top three albums, launched his own fashion brand, and has been and been the subject of tabloid dating gossip from Noby Campbell to once again this week, Tottenham fellow Tottenham star Adele. Uh, okay, that's a wow. He's um, that's that's interesting. Naomi Campbell and Adele. Okay, he's he's got a wide range of tastes. Interesting. <laughs> okay, um, Julie, the third-born child, swiftly went from presenting on Rinse FM to being announced as one of the three main as one of three main presenters on Apple radio stations Beats One. The younger sibling, Jason, was a producer on Skepta's album Kanichiwa, and as a graphic designer and artist, has made album covers for both his brothers. A new memoir by their mother, Ifiadanuga, uh, Endless Fortune, explains how they got here. It was drawn from diaries uh, she kept about, uh, quote, any little culture shock I experienced, uh, unquote, as a Nigerian immigrant bringing up her kids on a London council estate. Today, the family of six, completed by husband and father Joseph Sr., are gathered around a table in a photo studio. The children arrived in tracksuits and shorts, uh, their parents in regal traditional Nigerian dress. Quote, when I read the book, Julie says, I realised that mum was a person. You haven't changed. I know you as mum, but you've been like this from early. It's always been you, unquote. The early chapters captures moments of Nigeria sinking into civil war. If he was 10 when the country fractured along ethnic lines in 1967, the Igbo people and other ethnic groups in the south and eastern regions seceded, calling their new country Biafra. Her early chapters are a frank account of that chaotic period as an Igbo family fled Lagos for their homelands with 13 of them in the back of a pickup truck. If he cramped under a, a tarpaulin? Tarpaulin? Never heard that word. Uh, Tara Pauline, I think, hearing Nigerian soldiers at checkpoints uh, telling her father, shut up or I'll shoot you. The fighting stretched over two and a half years, claiming more than 100,000 lives. A Nigerian blockade cut Biafra off from food, aid and oil. If he remembers how, quote, there was nothing to eat, how farmers tilled the land two or three consecutive seasons going until nothing would come out of it. Unquote. Villages in the new Biafra were, uh, were haunted by. Oh, okay. Let me let, give me give me a moment for this word. Kawashi Kawashi Yeah. Okay. A severe case of malnutrition that swells the stomach and slowly kills those who have uh, who have it, including two of Ify's siblings. Uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. If, if I'm saying her name wrong, by the way, I don't know if I'm. I don't know if it's Ify or Ify, but I'm just going to say Ify just for. Um, simplicity, but please do correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. Um, an estimated two million people died of starvation, a time so bereft of hope that if he remembers how uh, young men fled the villages to join the Biafran resistance on the front lines, 
the wail of missiles and reprieve a reprieve from the slow death of hunger and famine. In Endless Fortune, if he writes, quote, Death became the boogeyman that visited us every other week to steal from one of us. I almost lost the will to live, unquote. When the war was over and the Biafra surrendered, easily, uh, uneasily reuniting Nigeria, if he moved back to Lagos for work before flying to the UK in 1980. Uh, she hoped she hopped between relatives cleaning the Bank of Illinois in the city of London for £11 a week. Those relatives advised her to head home, warning her... Uh, London, warning her London would be harder than Nigeria, but she enrolled to study business management and met Joseph when uh, both worked shifts at the top-ranked bingo club. By the early 90s, they were married with four children, living streets away from, from the Broadwater Farm Estate, where riots had broken out in 1985. Quote, we didn't know what a socially deprived area meant, she says. It didn't register with us. We were just there to get a job and look after our kids, unquote. Nonetheless, if he writes that, quote, it was difficult at times to keep the roof over our heads, struggling to, uh, that's an unquote, struggling to meet uh, mortgage payments. They lost their first home at Tottenham and were rehoused by a council uh, on the nearby Meridian estate. Growing up, the Adenuga house was a Nigerian enclave in the 90s Britain. Brooms were woven from straw and their father would DJ house parties into early hours. Skepticism uh, of that time, quote, the moment you step out of your house, you step into a different world. Your friends, the people around you, they could live next door to you. It doesn't matter. They don't understand what's happening behind that door, unquote. As the eldest, he was handed this this big chore, quote, unquote. He says, quote, to have an understanding of both lines. It's going to be so long to navigate through that, going outside, having lived that life, having that life, then coming inside and living this life. Unquote. Julie also remembers the frustrations of low-income living, her frustration at being unable to replace broken dishwashers and vacuum cleaners, cleaners thinking that, quote, life is getting long because we don't have money, unquote. Early in the millennium, grime was emerging, evolving out of UK garage and drawing on Jamaican sound system culture to become a soundtrack of Britain's inner cities. When the sound took hold of North London with pirate radio stations such as Heat FM, Boyce Meridian, JME and Skepta among them, were um, on the front lines. Their freestyles and radio sets were captured on grainy DVDs, their skittish flows throwing up portraits of their lives as they sliced through growling, often skeptical to produce instrumentals. Jason would see his brothers build beats on their PlayStation and sue for... Whoa, 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 whoa. Build beats on their PlayStation? <laughs> I didn't even know you could do that. That's fire. Respect. Um, and soon That's dumbfounded me, honestly. Uh, and soon followed, at the same time, developing a love of drawing that he uh, that he has held forever. Uh, a finding uh, After finding a folder Jamie had of anime drawings and feeling like, quote, this is why I want to do drawing and copying all day, unquote. Their creative gifts flourish if he tells the boy tells of the boys flying in and out of the house to pirate radio sessions and gathering with friends in the front uh, in the front room reciting lyrics deep into the night. Julia studied performing arts, feeling that my quote my creativity didn't manifest in the way that these three did. Part of me is a little bit sad about it. They did uh, they did it kind kind of blindly, uh, like it didn't matter what else was going on. I felt like I always had to protect everyone and be of service. As much as I didn't want to stand out as the only girl, I couldn't really do anything about it. I ended up being the middle child who is the facilitator, unquote. Uh, they inherited their creative spark from their father, who had studied architecture, and as a child in Nigeria would craft yo-yos uh, from beer cans and string. Uh, quote, back home there was no money. You don't get toys, unquote, he says. Uh, growing up, the kids watched him build things from scratch, such as the death of Julie and repairing fridges and freezers, quote, they got all that skill, knowledge, creativity from him, if he says sat next to her husband. They got their personality personality and being themselves from me. Jamie continues, quote, What mum and dad gave us was the power of imagination. There were so many things that they imagined and made happen. Now, if I'm in my house and I want to lay on the garage flooring uh, lay the garage flooring down, I just look on YouTube and think, oh, I'll just do it myself, unquote. Throughout their careers they've expressed the nuanced realities of Nigerian life in Britain. In 2007, Skepta covered the, covered the classic West African high-life song Sweet Mother, infusing the gentle percussion and productions with jittery grime, and rapped about Nigerian delicacies in 2019 on Grease Mode. Uh, quote, I'm going to need some palm wine, I'm going to need some pepper soup, unquote. 
When Skepta's fourth album, fourth album Kenichiwa, won the Mercury Prize in 2016, uh, just hot take, shouldn't have won it. I think it should have been love and hate, but that's just me. Um, if he was by his side on a stage in traditional Nigerian attire, the kind of clothing usually reserved for African hall parties and weddings. A couple of years later, in 20, 2018, when Judy uh, presented the music outlet Grime Daily's annual rated awards, she wore the same. There you go. Uh, recently, the Adenuga family had deepened their roots. Um, on a trip back to Nigeria, Skepta was ordained as a chief in his father's village. He remembers seeing young boys dangling their legs from the top of freight trucks, driving the roads into the village, and made him reflect. And it made him reflect on the uh, life he's his father left behind. Uh, quote. That was the last level I needed to make both outside and inside the house make sense, unquote. Iffy and Joseph Sr. are grandparents. Jamie and Skepta have daughters. Julie, who has left Apple Music and started her hashtag Julie's Top 5 music discussion series on YouTube, uh, describes their births as the two happiest days of my life. Uh, They all remember an afternoon in late 2018 when the boys broke the news of their pregnancies. Skepta arrived at home to tell the family, followed a few hours later by Jamie and his wife who were unaware of what ha- happened. Uh, when the coincidence set in, Judy was crying and if he was on the floor. Joseph Sr. stood in the kitchen, shaking his head in disbelief, thinking, this is mad. Uh, quote, it was spooky, Jason says. That day was a real-life thing. It peaked, <laughs> Skepta adds. Uh, it was almost like the feeling uh, when someone dies that's close to you, but the opposite, and it's two people. <laughs> uh, Jamie was uh, typically calm amid the melee. To raise his daughter, he says, he's pulling on the values he was raised with using, quote, all the positives from my childhood. You don't need to buy your kids a life. You literally just build it with them, unquote. And it's Fortune by Ifin Adenugra is co-published by Boy Ben Own It. And you want, if you guys want to cop that, uh, it's uh, t- uh, just under 20 quid. And I actually genuinely might give that a cop. Um, just because um, uh, I just find their story so fascinating. I just off the, Just off the back of that, you know what I mean? Just how... I, like, I find it, I find it interesting, right, because, um, you know, me and my sister, right, are creative people, um, you know, she does, she, she does, uh, drawing, art, you know, just, she, she's, she's dabbled in a lot of things, right, and, you know, I do this, which is some sort of creativity, I guess, um, and obviously screenwriting as well, um, and I, I, I just, I, I just can't imagine, like, it's not just that, right? It's, it's, you know, there's obviously people, there's obviously families like this, right? You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, me and my sister on Jamie, Skepta, Julian, uh, Jason's level, right? Um, but, you know, there's families like this. And it, ju- it just happens, right? It's just, it's just in the blood kind of thing, right? I, I truly believe that. I truly believe that's like an in the blood thing. It's it's a it's a nature and nurture thing. I don't think it's just nature, right? I think there. I don't think it's just nurture. I think there is a nature element to it, right? Um, but the fact that all four of them have just found their places and have just fucking thrived is just absolutely crazy to me. It's outstanding to think about. I just, I just, I just like just having one person like that is enough, right? For for a lot of families, right? Four? Four. Ah, uh, uh, it makes my head spin. It really makes my head spin. I'd, I'd, uh, I would, I would be gassed to be Joseph Senior right now. Just, just in, just in that case. I'd be just, I'd be so gassed. I, I'd just be so gassed. Oh my gosh. But anyway, man, shout out to the Adanugas, man. Like, that, what a family. What a fucking family. All hail. All hail. Add the nukas. And with that said, leave that on a hyper happy note. Ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth Film Podcast Network, this has been What's Good. Intro music has been Too Much by Vanilla. Interlude music is visited by Polo. You can find both of their tunes via their websites in the full show notes. Thanks to Joel Breakers for ability to use these songs. You can find their entire <coughs> Bandcamp discography in the link in the full show notes below. Oh, next week's episode is going to be a bloodbath. I'm going I'm to try and... I'm gonna try and not make it a bloodbath, but it might be a bloodbath. Just gonna keep you guys, just gonna let you guys know um, whatever happens this week. I don't know if everything, everything might just escalate, everything might slow down a little bit, but I just don't know anymore. You never know, you can't predict this shit. But anyway, with that said, that's next week. Let's just focus on the end of this week, right? Let's just, let's just focus on finishing. 
Hope you all have a good week. I should always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy. Ladies and gentlemen.